Hey, it's uh, it's good to be here this morning. Um, you know, today is is a fun day. I've been planning this for a while as we uh, continue this series. We're we're looking forward to um, a game today between the Dallas Cowboys and the Houston Texans. I've actually been looking forward to it for a long time and kind of been planning my my sermon series around um, well through the scripture that we're we're in. But it just so happened that we're going to be talking about. Joshua and the people of Israel, the Cowboys and the Texans. It couldn't be a better day. It's going to be a fun day. And um, a lot of us are excited about it. You're probably, you can probably tell whose side, who is on, you know, by looking at the shirt they're wearing. There are a lot of neutral people here today. There are some undercover fans that don't want to reveal who they're for. Eric said, you know, I'm a Cowboy fan. I didn't have a jersey, so I dress like a Cowboy. There you go. So you didn't know that about Eric. See, he didn't tell you that either. I thought he would tell you that when he came up here this morning. I gave him the opportunity. But um, anyway, I asked if he wanted to wear a Texans jersey, and he said he didn't want to be a hypocrite. So he didn't. It's just laying there on the chair. But, hey, it's going to be a fun day. It doesn't really matter who wins as long as we're having fun, right? No, that's a terrible way to live your life. That's terrible. Terrible, I tell you. Hey, today we're in our fifth, our fifth message of our replay series, and we're talking about some of the greatest people who lived out the greatest faith of all time. And we're looking at the lives of some of the familiar old time, old testament individuals who lived their life, um, faithfully to God, and their life was defined by that great faith. And today we're looking at the life of Joshua and the people of Israel. And our text is in Joshua chapter 1. Through six, We're not going to read all that, but we're going to have some passages from each chapter. Um, and then we're going to look at Hebrews 11. There's one verse in Hebrews 11 that, that really uh, defines the faith of the people of Israel. And so you may know the story. The people of Israel had been on a journey for quite some time. And they were their, their goal was to step foot into the promised land that God had, had, um, had promised to give Abraham and Moses that the people would one day inherit this great land. It would be their own land. It would be their own country. And on the journey, Israel seemed to face a wall of impossibilities. There were so many things that seemed to stack against them and uh, that stood between them and God's promise. And I believe it was more than circumstantial. It was spiritual. It was relational. It was really, it was a heart thing with them. And Israel never seemed to be content with basic provision, they longed for prosperity. And what we learn from Israel is that the secret longings of our heart that drive us in life are as basic as provision and they're as broad as prosperity. Some of us are content with just basic provision and some of us will never be content until we prosper, until we are prosperous in this life. And uh, just in our own definition of prosperity. And God asked these two questions to Israel as he was leading them across the desert, out of Egypt, across the desert to the promised land. He asked these two questions. He says, will you trust me and will you do what I say? Will you trust me and will you do what I say? And the answer would reveal whose side they were on. Were they on God's side or were they going to give in to idols and would they be consumed by the ways of the world around them? Would they get sucked into the culture that they would experience as they crossed the desert? And see, God's main goal was to, 
to keep his promise while fulfilling his purpose. God's main goal was to keep his promise while fulfilling his purpose. And his question was, will you believe, will you fully trust, and will you follow me into the unknown? And there are times that they did, that they followed faithfully, and then there were other times that they followed very unfaithfully. And you may remember the story in Numbers chapter 12, 13, and you see some of it in Deuteronomy chapter 1. They had been walking across the desert, they were longing for the land, and they were longing for prosperity, and finally they came to the Jordan River. And the Jordan River was the border that that separated the desert from the promised land that God had told them would be theirs. And they came to this this river, the Jordan River, and God told Moses, he said, hey, I want you to put together a scout team. I want you to look at the tribes of Israel. There are 12 tribes. I want you to take one man, a strong man, a courageous man. I want you to form this team from uh, scouts from each tribe. So there would be 12 12 scouts that would be called to Moses. And Moses said, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to send you guys, this this scout team, into the promised land. And you're going to scout out the land. And you're going to come back and give us a report of just how awesome it is. And you're going to come back. And from the report that you give, we're going to be able to put together a plan to go in and take the land. And I'm sure there was a lot of there was a lot of hope. There was a lot of excitement. People were really excited about what they were going to experience as they finally were about to cross over the Jordan and take what was theirs by promise. And so you know the story. Um, they, these men, they, they crossed the river and as they get into the land of, of Canaan, as it, as we would learn it would be called and it's the land of Palestine today. They, it wasn't long before they began to take notice that there were probably going to be some difficulties, some obstacles. I mean, the, they began to see people, and the people were big. And uh, they did see that the land was beautiful, that it was prosperous, that it was fruitful. But then they came to this, this one area where they, they were at the south part of this kingdom, and there was a big city called Jericho. And they saw the walls that surrounded it, and they saw the people of Jericho, that they were... They were fitted for, for battle, and these were people who would be strong and could potentially wipe out the people of Israel. And so they came back to give the report, and there were two of the people of Israel that, that said, Hey, I believe we can take this land. Let's go do it. And that was Joshua and Caleb. The other ten scouts would, would say, You know, we need to take everything into consideration. I mean, yes, the land was beautiful, and yes, the land was fruitful. But there's this city, the city of Jericho, and they have huge walls, and I'm sure that they have uh, great armor, and I'm sure that they have great weapons, and I'm sure they have great warriors, and I don't think we can stand against them. And so what God had meant for good and to give them hope of taking what He had promised them actually sowed seeds of fear into their life, and a wall of fear was built up. And because that wall of fear was built up in the people of Israel, even Moses, their great faithful leader, he derailed the plan. He said, let's do something different. And they retreated back into the wilderness. They were content with basic provision. And they forfeited God's great promise of prosperity. 
Now, you know what happens when you when you make a mistake. How many of you have made a mistake in your life? Yeah, we've all made mistakes. And what happens when you caught making a bad uh, when you get caught making a bad mistake? I'm sorry, right? I mean, we immediately begin to uh, repent and have sorrow. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. And and that's what Moses did when God came and, and, and he addressed Moses about this issue. Moses said, God, we have sinned against you. We will go in and we will fight and we will take the land. And God said, no, you lost your chance. He said, go back into the wilderness. Be content with what you have. Live your comfortable life. Do not go fight. Because if you go fight, I will not be with you. And they will consume you. You will die. And so out of fear, they lost out on the promise. A whole generation Lost out on the promise. Never got to step foot in the promised land. Not even Moses. Not even Moses, this great leader that God was raising up to be this great leader of his people. And the question that I have for you today is, what is standing between you and your dream? More specifically, what is standing between you and God's promise? God has made us all promises. He has made great promises through his word. And for Israel, it was the wall of fear. And that wall of fear was comprised of stones and mortar. Stones and mortar of impossibility. Stones and mortar of, of doubt. Stones of insecurity laid on the foundation of unbelief. And what they saw ahead of them with their eyes wiped out the memories of God's provision in Egypt and in the wilderness, God had shown them all along the way that he was faithful. But what they saw ahead of them wiped out those memories. I remember there are times in my life when I have. I've really been led by fear. I'm I'm a fearful man, I'll tell you. And um, I think that's something that all men deal with is is fear. And uh, I've been shackled by fear a lot in my life. And it was to the point to where um, if I didn't do something about the fear that was gripping my heart and my life as a man, as a husband, as a, a parent, I uh, couldn't make decisions. I, I pushed the decisions off on other people because I didn't want to make the wrong choice. I did not want to fail. I did not want to fall. I, um, I would just put it on other people. But I had to come face to face with my fear. And I went and got help. I went, I went, I went to counseling of all things because I had to overcome my fear. And I believe that a lot of people are like these people in Israel. We're shackled by fear. We're building up walls. Does this connect with you at all? I, I, I hope it does because there's, there's something inside of us that, that we're fearful of. And, uh, there are a lot of things, a lot of things in life that uh, will reveal themselves if you spend time focusing on the fear that you have, and those things will come to the top and you can deal with those. And Israel uh, never could deal with their fear. But uh, this connects with us in a way that I, I believe can change our lives. Uh, fear has the potential to overtake our dreams and our passion to lay hold of the promise of God. You see, the thing, the, the greatest things in life worth having are worth fighting for. And so often we don't fight for those things because we're fearful we'll be overtaken. We're fearful that we will be defeated. We're fearful that we can't handle it. And uh, there's so many things in my life that I was fearful of. Um, one of the greatest stories, and I've, I've told a lot of you this story, 
is I, I grew up in a small town. I grew up on a farm. I grew up in a very small church. And God called me the ministry. I had great plans. I wanted to prosper in my way. Um, I had great plans for that. But God was calling me to the ministry. And I surrendered my life to the ministry. I didn't know what that was going to look like. I had a, a fear of preaching and, and speaking in public. I had fear of really having one-on-one conversations with people. I was a fearful dude, okay? Well, um, I was leading this youth group in this church. And when I say youth group, it was like three or four people um, And when we first went there. And I called the youth group anybody under 50, all right? So it was it was a lot of old people. It was I mean, I say old people. It was old people, all right? There's nothing wrong with old people. But when you don't have any youth... Um, you know, the church had a vision to have some, so they hired a youth pastor and said, hey, go knock on every door in our town and build us a youth group. And I'm just stupid enough to say, okay, okay, I'll do it. Well, I did that, man, for a year. I worked at that. It just, it just wasn't working. And so Heather and I began to pray about what we were going to do. And the pastor said, hey, I don't think this is going to work. I mean, I love you and everything, but uh, maybe there are no youth in, in, in our town. I was like, yeah, I think you're right. Maybe you should have knocked on the doors first. And um, Heather and I began to pray about how God would move us and, and, and take us to a different place and had this church in, um, in north of Houston in Conroe that, that called me out of the blue and said, hey, we want to talk to you about being our youth pastor. And mind you, I was from a small church. This was a very large church, very large church. And Heather and I went and visited. We talked with the pastor and, and everyone who would be involved in making this decision about us coming there. And uh, we went to church on the first Sunday when they were going to vote to see if I was going to get the job or not. And uh, we walked out of Sunday school where there were uh, like a couple of hundred kids, bigger than any church I'd ever been a part of. I was going to be leading this youth group of a couple of hundred kids and 25 uh, adult volunteer workers. And fear began to take root in my heart. We walk out of Sunday school and I tell Heather, I said, hey, we're not coming here. And she's like, What? What? We're not coming here. I mean, what do you mean we're not coming here? I was like, she said, what are you going to do? So I'm going to go tell the pastor. Thanks for your time. Thanks for the consideration. I appreciate it. I'm honored, but I can't do this job. And I was set and settled on that. So we go to church and man, it was the big church. They packed out, you know, almost a couple of thousand people. They have a big, huge choir. You know, they still have the big, huge choir, all the same people uh, in that choir today, man, like a hundred people in the choir and they start singing. And man, I never heard anything like this in my life. I thought I was in heaven. It was just awesome. And um, I was like, this is this is legit. This is like real. This is awesome. Like nothing I've ever experienced in my life. And I was like, I wish I could come here. But no, I, I'm not the man for the job. Then the pastor gets up to preach and he says, everybody, take your Bibles this morning. Um, the title of my message is the deadly dangers of doubting God. And I said, okay, um, God, maybe you are calling me here and I've got to lay down my fear and I've got to move forward. I've got to walk in faith and I need you to destroy the fear in my life. And we did. And uh, that's uh, that's the long and short of it. But what I'm trying to tell you is, is that we all deal with fear in different areas of our life, whether it's our job or our family or decisions we have to make. We deal with fear and sometimes the walls in our life. Um, are, are very difficult to overcome. In the Old Testament, walls had two different purposes that, that you see, is that uh, for the people of Jericho, the walls were meant for protection. They built the walls to protect their city. They built the walls to protect their people. 
But for Israel, those same walls were a barrier that hindered them in their journey of faith. Do you see that? The walls for, for Jericho were meant for safety. The wall, the same wall for Israel was, um, it was a barrier that hindered them from moving forward in their faith. It was protection for one. It was a barrier for another. And sometimes the walls that we intend to protect us become huge barriers that hinder us. And we all have walls in our life that are built up and made up of and that consist of brick and mortar that are strong like the bricks of addiction, the brick of pride, the brick of hurt and pain and aloneness and bitterness and brokenness and anger. And there's the brick of desire and the brick of ego and the brick of disobedience and distrust. And I could go on and on and on. I could give you lists and lists and lists of things that, that, are, that help make up this wall that's laid on the foundation of fear and unbelief. And that fear and unbelief that Israel had, it destroyed, it destroyed the promise that they had their eyes on. And the question is, is is the wall of fear hindering you from moving forward in your life? I know there are a lot of people that can resonate with what I'm saying. And um, one of those people is uh, Mark, Mark Heilman. And uh, Mark um, has had a relationship with our church for a few years. And uh, he shares a little bit of his testimony with us. And we're going to share it with you this morning. Uh, So uh, watch this clip.
Amen. Thanks, Mark, for sharing your story. Hey, write this down. Part number one on your notes. The wall of fear will hinder my walk of faith. Question for you is, is the wall of fear hindering you from moving forward in your relationship with God, in your relationship with Christ, for going deeper in that relationship? And then what are you going to do about it? Are you going to deal with it? Are you going to allow God to help you deal with it? What is it that's holding you back from moving forward? Listen, I want to help you destroy the wall of fear in your life. I've had fear. I still deal with some. And uh, we have to destroy the wall of fear in our in our life. And um, I share that with you because I want to help. And I share this next part of the story because I want to help. And I want you to have hope that the wall of fear and everything that, that builds up that wall can come down. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. There's um, it's just this one verse that talks about the, the faith of, of Israel. And it says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they, talking about the people of Israel, led by Joshua, after they were encircled for seven days. And Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore... Arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. In verse 6 it says, Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. You can take that little part of that verse and you can change it around to say this, Be strong and very courageous only. So fear doesn't creep in, so the wall doesn't start to build up. Be strong and courageous only, so that your yes doesn't become no, and you retreat in fear. Be strong and very courageous only. You see it? That's our command, to be strong and courageous, that you may observe to do according to all that the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Circle the word prosper. What does it mean to prosper? Well, in our language, it means to succeed. It means to advance. It means to progress. It means to thrive. It means to set a goal, to achieve the goal. It literally means to make it. I've arrived. When when you've arrived, then you feel like you're successful. When you have set a goal and you have reached the goal, then you are successful. You are prosperous. You have succeeded you've made it and we tend to set goals in life that end in prosperity for the people of israel they understood prosperity the same way we do we're going to rule we're going to succeed life will be good but there was a misunderstanding in the communication they had with god see when communication breaks down walls tend to build up When communication breaks down, walls tend to build up. Because in their mind, formerly with the generation that died in the wilderness, with the people, prosperity meant the promised land. For God, it was about the promise. For the people, it was about inheritance. 
For God, it was about identity. For the people, it was about where they were going. For God, it was about who they were becoming. See, prosperity and success um, is a little different. Our understanding is a lot different than the way God sees prosperity and success. For us, it's about achievement. For God, it's about following Him. And trusting Him and being obedient to His Word. And so, the new generation had these goals uh, that were a little bit different than the old generation. The new generation had the goals that said, hey, we're going to believe in God, we're going to fully trust in God, and we're going to follow Him into the unknown. And they were ready to take on whatever came their way. And in Joshua chapter 3, they crossed the Jordan River. In Joshua chapter 4, they set up a memorial made of stones from the river so that they would never forget what God did to deliver them and to give them uh, and to lead them into that land of promise. In Joshua chapter 5, the second generation was circumcised and it was a sign that they were God's people. They were ready for battle and God was going to use them. Now we go to Joshua chapter 5 and 6. Joshua chapter 5 verse 13 it says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Joshua was saying, God, whose side are you on anyway? Because this was God. This was a picture of God, a physical representation of the presence of God is whom? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus is standing there before Joshua and he's saying, hey, Jesus, whose side are you on? Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And Jesus says, no. Because the way that Joshua asked the question is not the way Jesus heard the question. Joshua said, are you for us or are you for them? The way Jesus heard it was, are you for us or our adversaries? And Jesus said, no, it's not about you. It's not about you. And then listen to what he says. He said, no. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. And so God showed up to uh, and appeared before Joshua and he exposed Joshua's heart. He showed him his holiness. He showed him his purpose. And he defined for Joshua who the real leader was. Who was really in control of this army. I mean, you know, as a leader, pride and ego can really begin to take take root in your heart. I'm in control. Hey, I'm not going to lead like Moses. I loved Moses. I followed Moses. But Moses was full of fear. And he failed the people of Israel. I'm going to do it this time. Hey, we're going across the river. And he begins to lead across the river. And he did everything I just told you about. And then God shows up and said, hey, I'm the leader. You're not the leader. You're just a follower. There's a mouthpiece for me to go and tell the people what I'm commanding to do. I'm the commander of the army. And for Joshua... That was great relief. Because I believe 
as in every other leader I've ever known. There was a seed of fear that had been planted in his heart. And if Joshua wasn't following God, he would have fallen short, he would have retreated, and the people never would have been able to lay hold of the promise. But Joshua had an experience with God and he began to follow. And it says in verse 6 that Jericho was securely shut up in verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1, because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in to the city of Jericho. In verse 2, and the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all of you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. So Jericho was shut up tightly. Because the sons of Israel, the men of Israel had had surrounded it. And the people of Jericho were fearful. And they shut the doors, they shut the gates, and they were inside the walls of the city. They had been told that, that Israel was coming. They had prepared for it. And... They knew that that Israel was massive, that there were many, many people that were going to be coming to their city. And when I say many, many, you're looking at about two million. That's the estimate. Can you imagine if you had a city and you could stand and you could see all four walls and two million people surrounded your city? Well, it probably wasn't all the people who surrounded it, but it was all the men. You take a third of the two million, that's still a lot. It was still insight fear. And so God gave Joshua the instructions. And Joshua had to go back and tell the people exactly what they were going to do. And you can imagine, the human mind is very skeptical. It's kind of like when I told you last week that, that Moses held up the stick and said, anybody that looks at the, at the serpent will be healed. Joshua had to go to the people of Israel and said, hey, I know we've been through some crazy stuff. But God just told me this, and if we just do this, then He's He's going to set us free. We just got to gather all of our men, and we got to go circle around the uh, the city, and then we got to do it for six days, and we can't talk. We just got to march. We're going to march once, six days in a row. Then the seventh day, we're going to blow the trumpet, and the walls are going to fall down. How many of you would have bought into that? Yeah, I, I sometimes I sit and question, would I would I have been able to participate? Or would I sit back and think this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life? I'm going with the latter. I'd probably say this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. But you know what? Faith. Faith looks preposterous. Faith looks stupid. It it looks weird. And Joshua says, I'm just saying this is what God said to do. If you'll just follow, it'll happen. And so they did it. They did it. They walked around the city. They did exactly what God said to do. And they marched around the city. On the last day, they blew the trumpet. And what happened? The walls fell. And it says that the whole city was destroyed. The people were destroyed. The walls fell. The city was nothing. And because the wall came down, the people of Israel could walk on in faith and they could take what was rightfully theirs by promise. God made the promise. They just had to believe. They just had to do it. And I'm telling you that faith, 
Faith is this powerful thing that will help see the wall of fear come down in our life. Whatever wall is standing between you and God's promise. When you live by faith and you choose to just trust and you choose to just obey God's word by preposterous faith, the wall will come down. And today I want to give you, in part two of the message here, I'm going to give you five weapons and we'll be done. Just real quickly, five weapons that will destroy the walls in your life. It'll help see the walls come down. Whether it's a wall of fear, there's a, a wall of miscommunication, a wall of whatever it is, you name it. You define the wall that is hindering you in your walk of faith. And these will work. Number one, you have to have a personal worship experience with God every day. Isn't that what happened with Joshua? Isn't that what really built his faith was that was that personal worship experience that he had with God? See, authentic strength and courage are the product of genuine worship. Worship wipes out fear. Joshua seemed to be a fearless man. Not, not living on his own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. He had all, God had always wanted men like Joshua. God was looking for men to rise up. God was looking for men to lead. God was looking for men to be warriors. And year after year, day after day, he called the men to be the warriors that he had intended for them to be. And yet they wimped out and retreated and missed out on the promise. Can I just say something to you men? God is calling us to be warriors. 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 Not wimpy leaders, but warrior leaders. To wipe out fear, to break down the wall, and to be faithful to God, to trust Him and to follow Him into the unknown. It's as simple as that. We can do that, right? Thanks for the encouragement. Hey, let's say it together. We can do it. We can do it. I heard a bunch of women. Hey, guys, let's say it together. Guys, we can do it. And we will do it. Because God's calling us to faithfulness. And that courage and that strength, it begins with a personal worship experience with God every day. Number two, you got to develop a consistent, a consistent pattern for prayer. A consistent pattern for prayer. We are people um, that we're very tangible type of people. We like to lay our hands on our weapon and know that that weapon is going to do what it's intended to do. Prayer is an invisible weapon. And because it's an invisible weapon, we don't understand and know and believe in the power that it has to destroy the enemy and to knock down walls in our life. I know we don't believe this because we have prayer here the first Wednesday night of every month. And generally, there are about five or six men, and that's a high number, that come. When we first started it, it was kind of exciting, and we had about 30 people now we're down to about 16, 17 people, a third being men. Hey, if we're ever going to be warriors, and if God's people are going to do the work that God has called us to do, men, we got to stand up. We got to, we got to kneel down on our knees. We got to begin to pray and trust and believe in the invisible weapon of prayer. And we got to do it on a consistent basis. 
Barry Holter is leading our prayer ministry. He has great things for us. He has great things that he can teach us. He has great things to teach that I can learn from. There's great things that he can teach us that God's going to teach through him about prayer. That if we will just do it, if we'll just believe it, God will do a miracle in our life and the walls will begin to fall down. That wall of fear in your marriage, that wall of fear when you're dealing with debt and your finances, that wall of fear when you have to make a decision about your kids and, and parenting, when to say yes, when to say no. When you when you have a fear about your job, you think you're going to lose your job, you think you need to quit your job and you don't have anything else. Hey, God will remove all the fear. He'll help us to live by faith when we begin to value the power of prayer. Number three is promise-centered beliefs and goals. First thing we have to do is we have to destroy the foundation of unbelief. You know why we get selfish? And you know why we have our own hopes and dreams? It's because we're building our life on a foundation of unbelief. We don't believe that what God said is good enough. We don't believe that God will do what He promised. Here are some things that God promised. He promised that He would give us eternal life. He promised that He would be our Father and that we would be His children. He promised to love us forever. He promised that He will never leave us or forsake us. He promised that when we screw up, when we mess up, when we sin, that He will forgive us if we will confess and repent from that sin. He says that if we're willing to step out of the darkness, that He'll help us walk in the light. God has said that He has a promise for not just eternal life, but abundant life here in this life. And you know what else God promised? God promises a victory in every battle that we face if we'll just trust Him and if we will do what He says. It's as simple as obedience. Yet it's the hardest thing to do. Promise-centered beliefs and goals. Number four, we have to live out of a preposterous faith. It was preposterous for Israel to be marching in silence around Jericho. It was their preposterous faith that said, yes, we will do it, when everything within them was saying no. When Israel had finished their last lap around Jericho, in faith, they blew the trumpets, declaring the victory even before the walls fell. You know why they blew the trumpets? See, the trumpets and the sound that they, that they exuded was not the power that made the walls fall down. Have you seen the commercial, the iPhone commercial, where the lady comes over and she's like, I got a new iPhone, and all the ladies are like, ah! And then they're screaming and all the glass begins to break around them, you know? Um, that's the image that I got in my mind when I'm thinking about these walls falling down. This loud trumpet sound. And, and, you know, I'm sure it's not a trumpet like you and I have today. It was more something like um, like this. It's a, a ram's horn that they, would, that they would blow. And I would blow it for you, but I practiced and it was a dud. So I'm not going to do that, okay? But they got these and they held them up and they began to blow. And they blew with conviction and it sounded and it was loud and it got the attention of the people of Jericho. But it wasn't the sound that made the walls fall down. It was what was in their heart. 
And what was in their heart was a belief that God had already given them the victory. And blowing of the trumpet was the sound of victory. And they blew the trumpet and they blew it, they blew it loudly and proudly. And the walls fell. Listen. Our tendency is to blow the trumpet of victory after the victory happens. You know what we say? Don't count your sheep. Blah, 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 blah. Whatever. Don't put the cart before the horse. Hey, there's no faith in that. Don't buy into that stuff. Blow the trumpet of victory before the victory happens and show God that you have faith, preposterous faith to believe and trust that God will do what he says. And here's a very practical thing that you can take with you. It's a very practical weapon that you need to implement into your life. Number five is partnership with a faithful friend. Partnership with a faithful friend. You cannot destroy the wall of fear on your own. God can do it in miraculous ways. But God has this way of wanting us into relationship. That's why the Bible talks about doing life together for a purpose. That's why he says to bear one another's burdens. See, there is a reason that the Bible alludes to the fact that we're better together. Think about Joshua circling the city by himself. No, God didn't tell Joshua to go do it. He said, hey, go get the men that are strong and courageous. Circle this place and let's see the walls come down. So we're better together. And so we need partnership with a faithful friend who will link arms with us to do the hard stuff. Who will link arms with us and hearts with us to hold us accountable and help us to be faithful and will walk with us when we are, when we're failing and falling and when we sin, they won't kick us when we're down. They'll come and they'll pull us out of the pit. That's called love. And men, listen, listen, God's called you to be a lover. Not just to the woman who sits beside you or lives in your house, but God has called you to be a lover of other men. I stood right here in September of 2008. About 300 people filled this room. And I was the brand new pastor, or was about to be the brand new pastor of Clearpoint Church. And there was a man in the back and he said, um, Pastor, as you come here to lead our church, what's one thing you need? And I said, I need men. I need men who will support, who will pray, who will walk, and who will fight. That's what I said. My image then was a little different because, you know what? Pastors have the tendency to see themselves as king. I need men who will walk out in front, who will who will shield me, who will protect me. That was in my mind. Hey, I've been hurt in ministry. I've been hurt in life. That's why I had a lot of fear. And I feared that here. And it happened. God makes you face your worst fears. I believe that. He allows that to happen to help you get over your fear. But here's the image I've got in my mind. I'm 40 now. I am now mature, as I told you last week. And God has given me a new image of why we need men. God didn't call me to be a king. God called me to be a shepherd. Shepherds don't stand behind their sheep. They don't drive their sheep. Shepherds lead. Shepherds protect. 
Shepherds cover. Shepherds care and they love. If you're a man in this building, will you stand? I love you. I love you immensely. I don't care if you're 12 or you're 82 or 92, if anybody in here is older than that. God's called us to link arms and hearts and be warriors for Him. And I love you. And I want to lead you. I want to walk with you. I want to support you. I want to love you greater than I ever have. Because together, we're better. Because together, we'll see the walls come down. Because together, we will have victory. Amen? Will you believe that with me? Can we say thank you, Lord? Can we sound the trumpet and believe God for victory? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So what they did is these men, they stood up for God and they led and they they led faithfully. The walls fell down. They walked on in faith. Last couple of verses and we'll be finished. The last part of Joshua, chapter 21, chapter 24. So what it says in verse 21, verse 43. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and dwelt in it. And the Lord gave them rest all around. And then in chapter 24, verse 14. When you come through victory, your attitude is, we can do anything. God's on our side. I'm on God's side. I See, God God didn't just choose to side. This is what I learned through some battles in my life. I believed I was on God's side. God was for me. This is what I realized. God wasn't for me. And God wasn't for the person who opposed me. God was for God. And God was calling us to be on His side. The people of Israel were like, we're going to serve God forever. Onward, you know, march on. We're going to do this. We're going to take over. And I mean, everything in their mind was like, no more problems, no more issues. We have achieved. We have arrived. But Joshua, he says, now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods or the idols which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Verse 15, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whose side are you on anyway? Need the men to step up. Need you guys to come on and, and show us who you really are. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so the people, they said, far be it from us. Far be it from us that we should ever forsake the Lord to serve other gods. That day, they took a stone and they erected this stone. It was no longer a stone or a wall of fear. It was a stone of memorial. Or the way Joshua put it, it was a stone 
of witness. Let this stone that we are erecting here today be a witness against us if we ever forsake the Lord. If you look at history, it didn't last long. Because they would face another battle and another battle and another battle. In our life, men, the battles are going to come. But we can't retreat. We can't walk out on our families. We can't walk out and walk away from God. We gotta stick with the stuff. We gotta stand up and be men. We gotta stand up and be real men. And here's what I'm asking you to do as men. Ladies, you're my witness. And I want you to encourage, I want you to love your husband. But on Friday, October, what's the date? The 17th? I think it's in your bulletin. On Friday morning, October, I believe it's the 17th, um, or whatever date is on your bulletin, at 6 a.m., I'm going to feed you breakfast here. I'm inviting you to come and have breakfast. And we're going to spend time, and we're going to spend some time in God's Word. We're going to talk about fear. We're going to talk about how to break down the wall of fear. We're going to pray, and then we're going to send you out to go to work. We're going to do that in October. We're going to do that in November. And we're going to do it once in December. And we're going to do it in January, February, March, and April. And then we're going to have a time of encounter together. Because I believe that together as men, when we are encountering God every single day together, God will break down the walls and God will make us the husbands, the men, the leaders that He intends for us to be. And it will be all for His glory.